It is now. Okay, we are continuing our little summer series called Bible Answers for Life's Questions. And we are in the second of four parts in answering the first question. And that question was, how do I study the Bible? And the question continued by saying, I read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and I can't get past the chronologies. So before we look at Joshua 1, let me just take a minute and address that second part of the question. I read Ezra and Nehemiah and I can't get past the chronologies. Well, here's what I would say to you. As we're learning now about how to study the Bible, and you're, you're seeing it takes four weeks just to give a survey of what it means to study the Bible. I spent six years in Bible college learning how to study the Bible at the master's degree level. So, I mean, we could spend years talking about how to study the Bible. However, what we're going to learn in these four weeks will be enough for you to be able to adequately and effectively study the Bible so that God uses it to change your life. And the truth is, as long as you've got a Bible and the Holy Spirit, that's really all you need. But we're, we're going to help us to do it effectively. However, the question, I read Ezra and Nehemiah and can't get past the chronology. That's exactly what the devil wants. He wants you to get to those chronologies of the Bible, figuratively speaking, and then just stop and not go anywhere else. So here's what I would tell you in answer to that. There are going to be many parts of the Bible, as you and I read it, that you're going to come across that you don't understand. Don't stop, close it up, and put it away and say, well, I just can't keep going because I don't understand that. Peter said about Paul's writing, Paul writes a lot of things that are hard to be understood. Don't stop with the stuff you don't understand. That'll come. Keep going and focus on the stuff you do understand. Here, let me tell you what I do when I come to chronologies. I read them. Because somewhere in there, there is going to be a verse. How many of you have ever read the little book Jabez's Prayer? Or the Prayer of Jabez? You know where that verse came from? In the midst of some of those long chronological listings. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of all that, was this little verse about Jabez and the effectiveness of his prayer and what he prayed about God to bless him. If you don't read through the chronology, you'd never find that. So there are little golden nuggets of truth buried in there that if you'll just read on through it, God will show those to you. But don't stop. There's a lot of the Bible I don't understand. It is better for you to read one verse with understanding and application to carry with you through the day than to read 14 chapters and get nothing. So read till God gives you something. Stop and focus on it. And you will eventually learn those areas that you don't understand. Now, the chronology is what we do. And they, by the way, they are valuable. They're in the Bible for a reason. However... The value drawn from most of that is after extensive studies of the history of the Jewish people and where they came from. For example, we know that Rahab the harlot, a prostitute, was part of the bloodline of Jesus Christ. God Almighty allowed His Son to be born into the family that has in its direct bloodline a harlot. You know what that says to me? That God loves all of us no matter what we're like. And God can use us no matter what we do. You know how I know that? Because she is listed in the chronologies of Jesus Christ. That's where I find that. So, the chronologies are important. 
But don't get hung up on them or any other part of the Bible that you don't understand. Just go on to the part you do understand and come back to those later. Okay? So that, that's kind of how you deal with that question. Now today, <coughs> we're going to finish, or we're going to start the second part of how to study the Bible so it changes my life. Last week we talked about observation. Basically, there are some things you have to observe and accept about the Bible and the student of the Bible in order to understand it. Number one, you've got to believe basically that the Bible is God's Word. There's no error in it. If you don't believe that, you're never going to understand it. Number two, the student of the Bible has to be born again with the Spirit of God inside of them to help them understand the Bible. Without that, the Bible says that the unsaved person thinks the things of God are foolishness. So if you're not saved and you don't have the Holy Spirit to help you understand, you're not going to understand the Bible. Also, it's going to be very difficult for you to enter any kind of intellectual debate with someone who is not saved and doesn't have the Holy Spirit because they're never going to accept the Bible as the basis of truth. So those types of arguments are fruitless. And all it's going to do is discourage you. You don't need to have them. Okay? And we just got to accept the fact that there are unsaved people in the world that will not accept the Bible. They don't believe it, and they're not going to believe it until God uses His Word to regenerate their heart and give them the Holy Spirit. Then they'll start to understand. So, some basic truths you got to know about the Bible and the student of the Bible in order for you to know that I can understand the Bible. Now, today we're going to talk about meditation. What is that? Well, basically, we're going to answer the question, what am I looking for when I study the Bible? Look with me at Joshua chapter 1. <laughs> we're not going to read all nine verses. I want you to look with me at verse number 8. The Bible says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Okay, let's stop right here for a second. Let me quickly explain to you what we're talking about. This passage of Scripture is the beginning of Joshua's leadership over the nation of Israel. In the latter part of Deuteronomy, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 34, just look up at verse number 9 in the chapter right before Joshua 1. Deuteronomy 34, 9 says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua has just been anointed the new leader of Israel. Why? Moses died. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, <coughs> the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses ate. Moses, my servant, is dead. Guess what, Josh? It's your turn to be the leader. Moses is gone. You're not the assistant anymore. You are the guy that helps make the decisions now. So this whole passage is God commissioning Joshua to take over the leadership of Israel. Now, let me ask you this. What if the owner of your company came to you tomorrow and said, you are the new CEO or you are the new director of the board of directors of our company? We need you to make the decisions that will lead our company. Everybody wants the paycheck. Nobody wants the responsibility. Unfortunately, there's a reason why those people get paid the money they do. It's because of the amount of responsibility that lies on their shoulders. How would you feel if that happened to you tomorrow? I'll tell you how I would feel. 
What in the world do I do? I have no clue how to do this. Can you imagine Joshua when he finally realized, I am now to be the leader of Israel. God, what do I do? How do I do this? I I don't know all the answers. I'm I'm afraid. Now, I want you to notice, I want you to look down with me um, at verse number 6. I'm going to tell you why I believe this is what Joshua was thinking. It's because of what God kept telling him. Look at verse 6, Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. God's talking to Joshua. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. You know a couple of things I notice here? God keeps telling him to be strong and courageous. Number one, it's probably because in his heart he didn't feel very strong or very courageous. Number two, it was because in order to be this kind of a leader, you're going to have to be strong and you've got to have some courage. You don't step out and do anything that God calls you to do or be effective at anything God calls you to do without some strength and some courage. Living for God is not for wimps, if I can put it that way. You know, I, when I was growing up as a teenager, the, before I became a Christian, the impression we all had of Christians was that they were all these little sissy guys walking around carrying Bibles that were scared to death of everybody. I found out when I became a Christian that ain't, you can't do that and be a Christian. Being a Christian is the hardest thing in the world to be because nobody is in the majority when they're a Christian. And we like to think we are, but God says the road that leads to heaven is narrow and there are few people on it. And the road that leads to hell is wide and that's where most of the people are. So we are not in the majority. So it takes strength and courage to be a Christian. God keeps telling him this. Now, notice verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. How are you going to know what to do, Joshua? All right, listen to the rest of verse 7 and verse 8. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. How are you going to be successful, Joshua? Do what I tell you to do, God said. If you just do what I tell you to do, you'll be successful. Then we come to verse 8. How am I going to know what you're telling me to do? Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Why? So you will be careful to do everything written in it. Why? Then you will be prosperous and successful. Joshua, how are you going to know what you're supposed to do? Through the law of God. How do you and I know what we're supposed to do in every decision and every day of our life? Through doing what the law of God tells me to do. If I could hand you a book and say, if you will do everything that this book tells you to do, it will guarantee you success in your life. Would you be interested? Well, every Sunday morning, I give that to you. Every Sunday morning. This book promises success. Now, we don't have time today to talk about what real success is. Real success is not being financially wealthy. I know lots of people that got to be financially wealthy and then blew their brains out because their life was not successful. So financial wealth is not success. I know lots of people that have things that slit their wrists. Things don't make you happy. Things and money leave just as fast as they get here. What is real success? Peace and joy and fulfillment in your life. Now, 
How do you do that? Well, the Bible says here, you follow the Word of God. How do I follow the Word of God? One word. You meditate on it day and night. Now, what does that mean? Let me go through this with you real quick uh, because we're running out of time. But you've got them all there in your notes. Let me just go through it with you. Number one, what is meditation? Well, the Hebrew word here is, by the way, that word is pronounced dagah. It literally means to ponder, to imagine, or to study. So when the Bible says I'm to meditate on the Bible, it means I'm to ponder it. I'm to imagine, I'm to use my mind as I read through it and think, and I'm to study it. Now, depending on your definition of study, um, and I have several definitions of that, studying the Bible to me is sitting down with books and commentaries and reading and digging and getting things that I love to do. Study to me when it was English lit in college was sitting down with the Evelyn, whatever her name is, speed reading course, and flipping through there as fast as I could. And then hoping that I passed the test enough to get out of the class. So study can be different. Meditation, however, is what I described as how you study the Bible, not how I studied English lit. That's not meditation. That's not pondering, imagining, study. Okay? So, what does Webster's Dictionary say is the definition of meditation? Let me give you this. To engage in contemplation or reflection. To engage in a mental exercise in order to reach a higher level of spiritual awareness. To focus one's thoughts on. To plan or project in the mind. That's meditation. So here's what I did. I took all of this and I created our own little short practical definition that will help us understand what the word means in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Here it is. To spend time studying, thinking about, and focusing on the Scripture in order to understand what God is saying to me and to ponder those things as a normal thought pattern in our daily life. Basically, I study the Bible, I memorize it, I learn it, and then I think about it all day long as a guide for the decisions I make in my life. Have you ever been around somebody that you're, you start talking about a decision that needs to be made or so-and-so did this, how should we respond, or, or I've got this decision to make and, and I'm not sure what we do. And there, and my wife will tell you, I do this all the time, and people get frustrated. Well, you know, the Bible says, and then I quote a verse, Mr. Billy Bible. Why do you do that? Because if I do what the book says, I'm successful. Why do I want to do anything that the book doesn't tell me to do? So if I'm, I've got a decision to make or I need to know how to respond to something, why would I not go to the Scripture and say, well, the Bible says this. How should that affect our decision here? The Bible says this, so how should I respond to this? Just the other day, I had somebody call me, uh, actually sent me an email, and there had been something said to them that was not nice. It hurt their feelings. And so the, the question was, how do I respond? Well, Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was beaten, yet he opened not his mouth. The Bible talks about the fact that if I speak, I'm only to speak those things that are good and beneficial to those that hear me. All right, now that's what the Bible says. So, 
How does that help me know how to respond to something that's been said to me that wasn't nice? The book of Proverbs says even a fool is considered wise when he holds his peace. The book of Proverbs also says a fool blutters out all his mind. Now, do I want to be a fool or not? Basically, when you put all those biblical principles together, the answer is don't respond at all. Just don't respond at all. Why? Because that's what the book of success says you're supposed to do. Then you win. You are successful. That's what it means to meditate on the Scripture. You'll learn it. That's why he told Joshua, meditate in it day and night. Daily. So you can observe to do it. So that you can ponder it and use it every day in your life. Because Joshua, this is the only way you're going to be successful. That's why it's more important for you to get one verse that you can stick in your mind and ponder on all day long than it is to read three chapters that you remember nothing from. Because it does you no good. The Bible is to affect our life. It's not a textbook that we just read through to say we read the assignment. Okay? Now, let me give you a couple other things real quick. Some basic objectives of the Bible. And then I'm going to give you some practical goals of the Bible. And we've got to go through these fast. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us the five main objectives of the Bible. They are teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and preparing us to fulfill God's purpose for our life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For what? For doctrine, that's teaching. For reproof, that's rebuking. Correction, instruction in righteousness. Why? So the man of God can be perfect or mature, completely prepared to do every good work or to fulfill God's purpose for his life. So literally, here's what it means. Teaching. That's instruction. Imparting truth. Giving forth principles. Like what I just used a few minutes ago. Those are truths or principles from the Scripture. You get that from being taught the Scripture. That's what the Bible does. It teaches me those things. Number two, rebuke. This is the part we don't like. But this word literally means conviction or proof that I'm guilty. You know, before God can correct me, He's got to get me to accept the fact that I need correction. I'm doing something that I should not be doing. Or I'm doing something the wrong way. Or I'm doing something with the wrong attitude. And it needs correction. He's not being mean. He's trying to help me be successful. So the Bible is used to do that. It points out to me. It gives proof that I need some correction. That's the rebuke part. Then the next part is the correcting part. It literally means to set right again or make it straight. I know that the people who love me in this world find it hard to believe that Bill Crockett would ever need anything in his life set straight. Except for my wife. She sets me straight all the time. The truth is, if you compared my life to a walking stick, I would be crooked as a dog's hind leg. There's a lot of stuff about my life that needs to be straightened out. And there's still a whole lot. If I ever get to the place where I'm perfect, God's going to take me to heaven. Because there can't no perfect people stay here. They all belong in heaven. Thank God I'm never going to get there until I get to heaven. 
We're always going to need something about our life, whether it's our thoughts, our words, our actions, our grouchiness when we're tired. There's always going to be something that needs to be straightened out. And what got straightened out last week, in two weeks, the same thing might get crooked again and have to be straightened out all over again. It's just a process. That's life of a Christian. So I need this. I need the rebuking. I need the correction, the straightening out. The Bible teaches me how to straighten it out. And then next, number four, training. This is the term that's used about raising children. It's instruction with discipline. If you do this, things are great. If you disobey, there's a punishment. That's what the word training means. It's instruction with discipline. I remember when I was playing football in uh, college. I only played one year. Thank goodness. I'd probably have everybody in my body broken if I hadn't. I played one year, and I can remember in August practice, we had rules. If we did it the way we were supposed to, we didn't get punished. Usually in August, you never do it the way you're supposed to because you get punished all the time. We'd run a play and do it wrong. You know what we'd do? We'd run three 100-yard sprints. And I can still hear the fourth-string offense, which unfortunately is who I played for. The fourth-string offense, when we would run a play and somebody would do something wrong. Maybe it wasn't me. There's 11 guys on the field at the same time running this play. One of them does something wrong, and I can still hear all the rest of us when he did it. Oh, no. Because we knew everybody on the goal line. And we're running again. That's training. That's why they called it summer training. That's why they call it in April spring training. It's instruction with discipline. God does the same thing to us, and He uses the Bible to do that for us. And then what's the ultimate goal? So that we're prepared to do what it is God wants us to do. The Bible does all of that for us. So if you take the Bible out of your life, none of this gets done right. It may get done in some form by the world, but it's all done wrong. The Bible does this for us. Now, quickly, what are the practical goals? Those are the objectives. Here are the practical goals of the Bible. Let me give it to you real quick. There's two of them. Salvation and discipleship. Those are the practical goals of the Bible. That's why we have a Bible. John 5.39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures because those are, the, are what testify of me. This is what tells you I am the Messiah. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How do I get saved? It's the Word of God that is planted into my heart that causes me to believe as the Holy Spirit helps me to understand it and I accept Christ. That's where salvation comes from. Without a Bible, we don't know that we need to be saved. Second of all, after I get saved, Matthew 28, we're to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of them, baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe all the things that Christ has taught. That's discipleship. Now, there are several parts of discipleship. This is what the Bible does. And by the way, whenever you have a Bible study, whether it's with a group or you're doing it by yourself, these are the things you need to look for. Is God trying to teach me something? Is He trying to correct me with rebuke? Is He trying to show me something I'm doing wrong? Is He training me with some discipline here? What is it? Well, these are the practical areas. Number one, in discipleship, the Bible establishes commitment. Romans 12, 1. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to give your body a living sacrifice. The Bible in discipleship is teaching us to completely surrender our life to Him. Number two, the Bible teaches us to identify with Christ in baptism. Matthew 28, we're to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and then baptize. That identifies us with Christ. That's our first step of obedience. Number three, it, the Bible helps us to develop spiritual disciplines. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, he said, everybody that runs in a race runs, but only one wins. So run so you can win. And then he says in verse 27, he said, I have to discipline my body. I have to bring my body into subjection so that at the last, I am not guilty of the very things I'm teaching others not to do. It takes discipline. The Bible teaches us spiritual discipline. Let me give you two or three examples. Number one, reading your Bible every day. That's a spiritual discipline. It takes discipline to make yourself get up, schedule a time, and do it. Prayer, that's a spiritual discipline. It's necessary for spiritual growth, but it takes work because our body doesn't normally want to do that. Meeting with other believers, whether church on Sunday morning, whether Bible study in the week, you need that. That's a spiritual discipline. Just a few of the basics. But the Bible teaches us how to do that. Next, number four. The, the Bible helps us to grow in Christ-like character. Romans 8, 28, 29 says, All things work together for our good. What is our good? Verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. God is using the Bible to try and make you and I live and act like Jesus did in our character. The way we respond, the way we speak, the way we treat people, the way we love. All of that stuff is Christ-like character. The Bible is teaching me that. So when I'm reading my Bible, these are things I'm looking for. Is there something about His character that I need? I'm looking for that. Number five, it helps us to become grounded in our faith. So that when somebody else comes along and tries to get you to follow something that is not in the Bible, you don't get deceived by that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15 says that we have teachers in the church to help us be grounded so we're not blown about by every wind of doctrine that comes along. I need to know what I believe and why I believe it. Then, number uh, six, the Bible teaches us how to teach and disciple others. The Bible teaches me how to do that. Number seven, the Bible helps me to learn about and how to use my spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 and verse 7. By the way, the verse for teaching and discipling others is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And then finally, number 8. The Bible teaches me how to be strong in my walk with God, how to depend on Him more by faith, and how to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life. The Bible teaches me that. So, what do I look for when I meditate on the Scripture? Well, I, first of all, I look for one of the five objectives. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, instruction with discipline, and preparation for something God wants me to do. Practically, I look for all of these eight things. What of these eight things is God trying to teach me or disciple me with? By the way, you know what a disciple is? It's the Greek word mathetes. It means a pupil or a student. That's what discipleship is. It's teaching students. These are the eight main practical things that the Bible works at teaching us so that we can grow. So, how do I study the Bible so it changes my life? First of all, observation. 
There's certain basic facts we have to accept about the Bible and the student of the Bible. Second of all, meditation. I have to know what to look for when I'm meditating or pondering the Bible. Now, next week, we're going to talk about interpretation. I'm going to give you some basic principles of Bible interpretation. How do I know that what I'm reading and interpreting from that is right? And I told you this before. You can take the Bible and prove anything you want to. If all you got to do is just use a word that's in the Bible, as long as it's in here, doesn't matter about the context, doesn't matter about the verse it's in, has nothing to do with the outline or the history or the reason or the writer of the book it's in. If none of that matters, you can use the Bible to prove anything. But is that the proper way to interpret the Bible? Of course not. Ultimately, what we want to know in interpretation is what is God really saying? Because that's all that matters. So next week, that's what we're going to talk about. All right. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to love it and to want to study it. Give us understanding so we can live it. In Jesus' name, amen. See you, everybody. Have a good week.